0: Welcome, everyone, to another episode of Revolution Recap. The Revs' regular season ended today in a very disappointing fashion with a 2-0 loss at Philadelphia Union. The Revs go winless on the season in five tries against Philadelphia. So very, very frustrating result against a very, very frustrating team. And today, the offense did not show up. Three designated players take the field. They've been fully, uh, fully training all week, according to Bruce Arena uh, in his pregame press conference. But really no offense to show uh, from the Revolution. Um, with the result, and some other results in MLS. The Revs fall to eighth place and will face the Montreal impact in the play-in round of the MLS playoffs. I'm Greg Johnstone. Joining me today is Sean Donahue. Sean, how's it going?
1: Yeah, I mean, you, you look at the situation going into the day and the Revolution were in sixth place and the worst possible position they could have ended up in is eighth if everything went against them and everything went against them and they ended up in eighth. And I, I don't think you could have had a worse outcome for the revolution uh, maybe with the exception of who their opponent ended up being Montreal instead of maybe Inter Miami. Um, But all things considered going from six to eighth and, you know, playing the game the way they played in which, you know, they looked really poor and there was very little to be happy about and very little to kind of draw momentum from going into the playoffs. um, It it was pretty much a worst case scenario day for the revolution.
0: Yeah. we'll we'll talk about the Montreal game kind of at the end of the podcast as a preview, but right now we need to kind of um, do a deep dive into this Philadelphia game, which really just, Front to back, just a really disappointing performance from the Revolution. Um, I think kind of similar to how the Atlanta game was a preview. I think last year the Atlanta game was determined going into that game for the regular season finale. So in a way it was, let's see, you know, it's kind of a feeling out process. This is almost like a warm-up playoff game um, to kind of get everything in order going into the the playoffs. This year kind of had a similar feel too where the Revs, you know, It's different this year in which they had some stakes on the line, but it still had that kind of playoff feel. You're playing a a team that is at the top of the table. They're going to play their best because they want to win the supporters shield, um, which they ended up doing. Congratulations to Philadelphia on that. But um, overall, I I think the revolution just came out flat and really just, you know, momentum is not on their side uh, at all. So a really, really disappointing day overall for the revolution. I'd say the most disappointing game in the 2020 season. Uh, Sean, what, what was your key takeaway from this game?
1: Yeah, I mean, it's it's a thought I've had before in other portions of the season. There's been so many injuries. It's been such a disjointed season. And, you know, especially after this game, it's solidified for me that there's not enough time left in the season for the revolution to figure out how to play with Carles Hill, Gustavo Bo, and Adam Buxa on the field at the same time. I think that was abundantly clear today um, that those three players weren't on the same page. The chemistry is not there. You know, I asked Bruce Arena about it after the game and he wasn't willing to say that at all. You know, he, he said there was a lot of other problems other than those three and, and wouldn't make that statement. But to me, it's, it's pretty clear that those three guys aren't on the same page and that the revolution don't have a workable formation um, to play those three guys successfully. Um, I think Gustavo Bo uh, clearly is not 100 the, percent. The Gustavo Bo we saw in this game uh, he was one of the guys that I, you know, one of several guys that I think had a bad performance. It seemed like his passing was off his, you know, he took a few long shots. All of them went right into defenders. Um, they really need a lot more from Gustavo Beaux. Um And I don't think he was on the same page with Adam Buksa. I really didn't, you know, we've seen them connect a couple times in games this season. They weren't connecting tonight. Um, and Adam Buksa. Uh, had a, a few pretty clear-cut headers in this game, none of which he put on frame. And, you know, for a guy in his role and a guy making his salary, um, you have to be putting those consistently on frame. If somebody is sending you across and you have an open shot, you have to be finding a way to put those on frame. And he wasn't doing that uh, today. And then Carlos Hill, again, I don't think he's 100%. Um, but, you know, I don't think he had the best game. But you, the three of them together, I just didn't see how that connection is supposed to work especially in this formation the Revs put out there. You know, we've talked before, maybe you put Gustavo Bow back on the left wing. Um, I don't think that's his best position, but maybe, you know, long-term, that's how the three of them kind of interchange. Um, but looking at this lineup, I think Bruce Arena saw his, you know, five best offensive players in Buchanan, Bunbury, Heal, and Bucsa, um, you know, maybe make a case that Lee Wynn belongs in there. But I think there's a good argument that those are your five best offensive players. He put them all out in the field and tried to find a formation, you know, where they sort of fit. Um, and I don't think it worked. I don't think that that is the revolution's best option right now to have those five guys out in the field at the same time. It's an unfortunate situation that, you know, one of those five guys, you know, Bo and Carlos Hill heel you know, the Rev's two best players uh Bunbury and Buchanan have been the Revs two best players this season um and Adam Buxer they're paying a lot of money to and has sh- shown signs uh but it, you can't just force it and I think that's been abundantly clear um the past couple games that you know putting those five guys out there just for the sake of putting them out there does not put the Revolution in the best position to win um uh, maybe next year they find a way for you know Carlos Heo, Gustavo Bo, and Adam Buxa to to work together and 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 figure out that lineup but um, it's too late this season for it to work. The revolution need to go back to what was sort of working, um, which is, you know, playing one striker and, and playing that. You know, for more of a four or five, one formation they've done, uh, because what they did against Philadelphia didn't work and it's not going to work against, and maybe it'll work against Montreal. We can talk about that later. Montreal is not a good team, but it's not going to work uh, against anyone else other than that going into the playoffs. Um, and even with, you know, big gap between now and then, I think the game is going to be November 20th, the playing round. Um, I still don't think that's enough time for them to figure this out. So, uh, my takeaway is that you, you can't play those three guys at the same time right now. Um, next season, figure it out this season, you know, throw up your hands and realize it's not working.
0: Yeah, and even with all three of them out there, it feels like the strategy is give the ball to Carly's heel and have him figure it out. Which feels a lot of what the Revs looked like when they had one designated player. Um, Carlisle heel had eighty nine touches tonight, which I believe led the game. It, it certainly led the Revs by twenty something touches. I think next best was Scott Caldwell with sixty six. So Carly's heel really uh, carried the Revolution offense. Yeah, th- that's a game high too. The most on Philadelphia was Kai Wagner with uh, seventy nine touches. So he had the most touches in this game by ten. Um, Gustavo Bo, thirty six touches. Adam Buxa thirty two touches. Um, Bo had two shots they were both blocked. Adam Buxa two shots there, both off-target. Um, Bo and Buxa had a decent day passing. Bo had 75% pass accuracy. Um, Adam Buxa at 87%. But they're just not getting enough of the ball. The, the, you're, you're playing... It, it's almost like they get in each other way and they don't contribute enough in the midfield to kind of generate counterattacks. It just seemed like they were just doing a lot of long balls. They weren't winning second balls. Um, it, it just was as you said, they just threw out these guys for the sake of getting all their names on the team sheet and forcing them to play most of the game and hoping that translated to goals. And what ended up happening was just the revs unable to carry the ball up in midfield and in position. Um, the first 10 minutes or so were fine um, with, with counter pressing. And I felt like they had a, a couple of chances, I guess. I, I know Stabobo had that shot that was blocked that kind of rolled in on the keeper. I, I guess that was one of their better chances on the day, but um you're right that there's this these three players have not played enough to um, have that kind of cohesion and it just feels very very forced and we kind of said this as Carles seal was coming back from his foot injury uh, and as gustavo Bo was coming back from his mysterious injury which we still don't know what exactly it was um you know there was limited time to figure it out and it seems like you know They've basically been instead of studying for a test uh, and being prepared for a test, they're they're just kind of going in hoping they can wing it and uh, and you know ace the test. Um, we're going into this this playoff game not knowing what this formation is going to look like. I'd be very surprised if we see what they ran out there today because it's not going to work against good teams like Philadelphia.
1: Yeah, it's definitely not. I think that's abundantly clear. And the Revolution, you know, when you look at Philadelphia and you look at what they do so well against the Revolution. They they really disrupt the Revolution's passing lanes and they really you know f- find a way to make it difficult for the revolution to pass out of the back and and build offense going forward that way which I think is what Bruce Arena wants to be able to do when everyone's healthy um so to kind of make this switch and and do what they did in this game and play this I know we're going to talk about the formation more later but maybe maybe now is the good time to do it when you look at their 442 that they played in this one that was sort of like a, a diamond I think they tried to match what Philadelphia was doing and I don't think you beat Philadelphia matching what they're doing playing the same formation I think th- you beat Philadelphia by Using pacey wingers and, you know, getting them on the counterattack, you know, they played a lot of long balls forward, but you had Buchanan and Teal Bunbury in situations where they weren't really going to be able to get out and run at people. Um, They were more pinched inside a 4-4-2 diamond like Philadelphia plays. And this has come up a lot on Twitter and people have asked me a lot of questions about it. I've gotten into conversations with people about it. A 4-4-2 diamond you know, really has four central midfielders. You have your central attacking midfielder and you have your your two central midfielders. And then you have your central defensive midfielder and your two central midfielders have a lot of ground to cover. Um, but they're, they're central midfielders. They're not wingers. Tejan Buchanan, um, as was abundantly clear on this game, is not a central midfielder. He doesn't fit into this formation. Um, he plays really well as a winger. We've seen that this year. He plays extremely well as a winger. He's, he's made a, a lot of progress this season, um, but he doesn't fit. And a 4-4-2 diamond, the way a 4-4-2 diamond is, is meant to be played. Um, and maybe some people envisioned the 4-4-2 diamond not really being a 4-4-2 diamond and having wingers instead of central midfielders. I, I personally don't think that works at this level of soccer. Um, and I certainly don't think that works against Philadelphia. Um, and maybe that was Bruce Arena's intent, but that didn't work against Philadelphia because they had to pinch in. That's the only way it was going to work when you're playing a superior team um, in Philadelphia. Uh, So I I think his strategy was to kind of match that formation and get his best players out in the field. And, and, you know, Beat them at their own game. Uh, you're clearly not beating Philadelphia at their own game on the road in Philadelphia. I think it was a, a gross miscalculation calculation by Bruce Arena. Um, and it just it just doesn't work. And I completely agree with you. And I think we're both on the same page that this formation is not going to work against a good team. Um, and, you know, I, I take it further and say that your three DPs are not going to be on the field in a winning combination against a good team right now. Again, I'm not saying that won't happen next season. They just haven't figured it out this year and there's no longer time to figure it out.
0: Yeah, and and you can play like a four four two wide, which if you have you know if you play on FIFA or Football Manager, you can kind of put your right midfielders and, and left them out on the touchline, but you're conceding in the middle of the field, and the Revs are not good enough defensively um, to concede possession like that. I, I just they're just not built that way, um, and we we're gonna get into Andrew Farrell later because because I, I think this defense has regressed. I think earlier this season. And, and maybe longer than it should have been, we have been saying or I've been saying this team is very solid defensively. We're just waiting for this offense to get it together. And what's happened is this offense has not gotten it together. We are still trying to figure out who we're getting goals from. Who is your reliable goal scorer? Gustavo Bo has regressed from last year, it seems like. Adam Buxa has made strides, but he has not. he's still heading the ball wide. He is still not creating chances on his own. He is still not a designated player worthy type of player. Carly's heel is, is probably not a hundred percent although, and they're still over relied on him. Um, Teal Bunbury is leading this team in goals. He's a great player, but is again, streaky player. Tayon Buchanan has shown nice flashes. And then he gives you a game like today where, you know, He's not going to be the best player on the field. and you got to take him off at halftime. So this offense has not gotten it together, and the defense over time has regressed. And we are now, this kind of gets into my key takeaway, which is just this is not a great team. It's just not a good team on any level, I'd say. Tanner Ribello of the Trifecta Network had a stat earlier today uh, that the Revs, even with the loss, passed their points per game from uh, the 2019 season. They ended up with 1.39 points per game compared to 1.32 last year in 2019. Um, Sean, we we went over this before uh, the podcast. I just looked up in previous years, 1.21, 1.32, 1.24, 1.47, that was uh, 2015, and then 1.62, that was their run to the cup. So the last five seasons, I mean, I'm looking at this, the last five seasons starting in 2020 1.39, that's this year 1.32, 1.21, 1.32, 1.24. That's not really progress from where we've been,
1: very slow progress.
0: <laughs> Those previous seasons, 2019, we had uh, I'll call it one and a half DPs. They had Gustavo mid midseason 2018 under Brad Friedel. Um, one designated player, or did we have one designated player? I'm trying to think. Carly Seal was 2019, right? Yeah, so. Yeah. Um, no, Car- uh,
1: Car- Carly's heel, yeah Yeah, it was 2019 at the beginning of the season And Bo well, came halfway through But was was Mancian technically a Yeah,
0: I, I'd have to go back and look at DPs But you can no, tell that we, well, there was well, not a lot of real investment the, Yeah, the the point is there wasn't a lot of investment I'm sure they invested in Claude D'Elna and Michael Mancian And all that, you know, shit But, I mean, you know we This year was supposed to be the year These designated players brought us up And, and we can defend, you know, the injuries We didn't have Carly's heel and all that stuff Fine, but they they've had two designated player designated players all season. They have a Tam left back in Adam uh, or sorry Alexander Bootner. Um, they have spent money. They have spent money, and we have gotten point zero seven more than where points per game than where we were in twenty seventeen. This and and if there was seven teams in the playoffs like there were last year, the Revs would not make the playoffs. So this is a playoff team based on twenty twenty rules. But my goodness. Um, it's been a mirage uh, in terms of, you know, how good this team was. And and I've kind of felt this in the past months, just momentum is not on their side. And and there are so many lingering questions. Um, I'm really, I don't know where this team goes after this off season, uh, but there, there's a lot of question marks with this team right now. And even with players coming back and getting healthy, on On paper, I don't think this is a scary team to face in the playoffs. and and i've I've said very differently in the past few months,
1: you know, on paper, I think talent wise, it's a scary team to face in the playoffs. But what we've seen on the field, it's not a scary team to play it's face in the playoffs. And I, it goes back to, you know my point that they just haven't put it together. Um, but yeah, I think it's it's very disappointing to see where they are right now because no they they're not playing like a good team. Um, I think I, I still very much believe. The talent is there, at least on the offensive end of the ball. The talent is there to be a good team. Um, and, you know, again, we've been over it all year. There's a whole host of excuses for why they haven't put it together. But every everyone else in the league has been dealing with the same things. Everyone else has been dealing with, you know, the disjointed schedule with you know, players getting COVID and players being out. Um, and, you know, other teams have done a much better job with it than the Revolution have, you know, Yes, it's really unfortunate for the Revs that it's been, you know, they're designated players that have had injuries, but that's happened to other teams too. Um, and they just haven't put it together. I, I, I don't think it's time to hit the panic button in the offseason and blow this team up by any stretch. I think there, again, I think there's enough talent on this team to be a good team. Um, but Bruce Serena needs to figure it out. He needs to figure out how you put those guys in the field and, and make it work because right now he hasn't.
0: I mean, um, let's say Matt Turner leaves for Europe. I mean, you don't have another designated player spot. You, you might have some TAM to play with, but how much is a TAM player going to impact your team? What are you going to spend TAM on? You already have two two strikers that aren't producing. Um, I mean, this, this is a real concern. And um, I'm looking at games Carly's heel has played in uh, after he came back from injury. Um, the 1-1 game against Nashville, so that was a tie. Lost to Red Bulls. Um, beat D.C. United in that 4-3 game, um, and then lost today. So they've won one out of four games with Carly's heel back. Um, It seems like it is unraveling, and as the season has gone on, we've gotten more and more questions. And as I say, it it used to be, well, the defense is rock solid, and as long as we can get one or two goals a game, we have a good chance. I I don't feel that way anymore. I don't know if you do, Sean, but I, I have not a lot of confidence that the revs can go into a game and get a clean sheet. I, I I have a very, very little confidence, regardless of who the opponent is.
1: Well, the only way the revs go into a game and get a clean sheet is, is going kind of going back to your point. If if Matt Turner goes to Europe, um, then I, I'm with you that they there's a huge trouble. Um, because the reason the defenses look so good is because of how well Matt Turner has played and how much he's bailed them out. And, you know, again, I think, you know, if you if you go into a game and get a clean sheet, it's probably because Matt Turner played in his head or because you're playing it, you know, one of the really terrible teams of the revolution have played this year, even though against some of those really terrible teams, they've still struggled to get clean sheets. Um, But yeah, no, I I have, I don't have any confidence in the revs ability to kind of eke out a one nothing draw or one, nothing win, I should say um, that we might've had at other points in the season where, you know, the defense was playing good enough with a world-class goalkeeper and Matt Turner behind them to consistently, you know, limit teams to one or no goals.
0: And I think one thing that we got to mention is the set piece defending, which I know we have said multiple times in previous years was a complete disaster for the Revs, uh, year in and year out. And we've had some some poor set piece defending at times uh, uh, in the 2020 season. But today, I, I think it really came back to bite them. Um, for those that didn't watch, I mean, it, it was just a complete mess. Just complete. No organization, no leadership. Uh, basically, a corner is punched back out uh, and goes to the corner. Teon Buchanan leaves his man, and then e- either Bai, who was guarding someone else, didn't rotate over and was supposed to, or someone else was supposed to rotate and Bai at the last minute realizes there's an unmarked person. Um, it looked like Bai was confused. It looked like Tayon didn't know where to go, so he ran out to the corner. Pharaoh looked confused. Um, yeah, I just a, a complete disaster, and I think that is going to be a major, major, uh, weakness that p- Montreal potentially could expose, uh, in a playoff game. Uh, Sean, any thoughts on that, uh, that particular play in the rev set piece defending overall?
1: Yeah. I mean, cre- credit to Matt Doyle who previewed this game and pointed out the fact that the, the revolution have the, been the best defense in the league from open play, but the very worst on restarts, you know, meaning set piece situations, especially corner kicks. Uh, he said, and that of course they fall behind in a corner kick, um yeah no it's it's been a big problem for the revolution for years now um and certainly one that you know from what we've been told and uh what we've heard Bruce Arena spent a lot of time focusing on in practice and I'm sure he has but they still haven't figured it out and you know in years past I've kind of pointed out the fact that the revolution uh to some extent have been an undersized team you know guys like Kellen Rowe, Scott Caldwell, uh, Luis Caicedo um you know they're not they're not the tallest team in the world, but I don't, you know, that wasn't the problem today. They actually didn't have that undersized of a lineup um, for the most part in this game. And the problems that did occur, I don't think you can blame at all, um, you know, on height or anything. So it was, it was really troubling um, that at this point of the season, they, they still haven't figured that out. Um, You know, it's, it's very interesting to, we we have the eye test. We see the Revolution do really poorly defensively on set pieces. But it's it's very telling to see that statistically, um, according to Matt Doyle, they have been the very worst team in the league um, on set pieces. So, uh, you know, our, our eyes have not lied to us. The Revolution are terrible on set pieces. And when you get later into the season, um, you know, you could be playing a game in Gillette Stadium in snow, you know, it could be it could have, the weather gets worse in New England as the season goes on. And when you get later in the season, I think set pieces take on an even bigger role. Um, it can be harder to score from the run of play. Um, and that it becomes that much more important to be able to defend set pieces. So uh, it's an extremely troubling sign for the revolution. And just another factor that I think is going to make it very difficult for the revolution to make a deep playoff run.
0: And one person that I do think we should highlight just because we've talked a lot about him uh, this season, and we've been praising him uh, for most of the season, is Tayon Buchanan. Uh, Bruce Arena was made a point to say his the first half was extremely disappointing. Um, obviously, looking at the first half, I, I tweeted it out. You know, they're down one nothing. There were a lot of plays that. Could have gone the other way, uh, obviously, the Philadelphia uh, near penalty kick uh, where it looks like Alexander Brutner fouled uh, in the box. That could have gone against the Rebs. That could have made it 2-0. Um, Philly had a couple of uh, pretty dangerous shots that seemed to go wide. Uh, that Matt Turner was not in a great position to saw, to, to save, so um, you know Philadelphia not making the most of their chances and still ended up with a lead. So Bruce Arena very very frustrated and angry uh, about the performance in the first half. And I think if you have to look at one person in particular who really disappointed today, uh, Tayon Buchanan is that person. Five for twelve passing, that's only forty two percent. I believe he had a shot. No, he didn't have a single shot. He had twenty two touches, um, two ball recoveries, one dispossession, um, one tackle, one for one on. Aerial duels, um, but overall that five for twelve passing, uh, not very good. And, and when you're playing that four four two diamond, um, as you said, Sean, it's kind of a winger kind of playing as a converted, you know, central midfielder type player. Um, just didn't seem to really work out for Tayon. Um, do you think he has potentially played his way out of the lineup for a playoff game, or do you think that we will see him uh, start against Montreal?
1: I mean, it's a difficult call to make. I think this formation has played itself. Out of being the formation for a playoff game if if Bruce Arena was paying attention um and because of that I think if you know if you switch back like I was saying earlier to a formation where you actually play a you know 4-5-1 and have real wingers um then I still think Buchanan's the guy to, you go to uh, you, you know you look at where who scored classified his position in this game and it was a kind of a classic 4-4-2 four, four, diamond as a central midfielder um it's it's very apparent to me that Tejan Buchanan can't play that role uh he, he's not a central midfielder he's not a guy that's you know, going to be great passing in tight spaces and kind of the middle of the field. Um, And you're really limiting his ability to take on defenders. He was one for three in take-ons in this game. And the one take-on he was successful in was in the defensive third. Um, So, you know, a guy that's got a lot of pace and a guy that can beat a guy on the dribble, you know, you're putting him into a position where his best skills are really limited. And he's not going to get an opportunity to use them. You know, I, I, we've talked about this before. If you play a 4-4-2 diamond, your probably best bet is to play, you know, either Scott Caldwell or Matt Polster as the defensive midfield, and then have Kellen Rowe and Tommy McNamara as your central midfielders, not, you know, Teal Bunbury, who, again, is, you know, a winger or a striker, and Tejan Buchanan, who is a winger. It's just doesn't make sense. And I think it was abundantly clear that you're trying to, you know, fit a really good winger into a role that's designed for a central midfielder. Um, so I, I give Tejan Buchanan a pass for the, his performance in this game. It was really bad, um, but he was asked to play a role that he is not comfortable playing.
0: Yeah, and I mean, look at the DC United game. He was very dangerous in that game. Where was he the most dangerous? Pushing up on the wing, pushing into that corner uh, and and drilling in some low crosses um from that corner and I'm just looking up his pass chart right now. Um I mean, he didn't get anything. I mean, he certainly didn't go into the corner at all, but it looks like he had of his five completed passes, um he had two successful p- passes for, in the uh, attacking half. Um one was just kind of a a pass backwards to the side. One was a pass through the box, but he's pl- playing it from the center. So, um I mean, I don't I don't have a heat map up, but I don't even know if he even approached uh, where he was at his most dangerous against D.C. United. So um, I agree with everything he said, and I, I do think we see him again. Um, but he, he can't play that role. I don't think this four four two 4 2 diamond um, is, is very well thought out, uh, at least with this personnel um, on the whole. Maybe like a Diego Fagundes or a Tommy McNamara works in that spot. But um, if you want to tell you on Buchanan out there, this, this lineup is not a good one. Um, we got a question on Discord here from TSB11. Uh, let's focus on some positive things here, Sean. He says, um, today's game seems like we saw a lot of things that don't work. What, if anything, can the Revs look to in a win or go home playoff match as stuff that they know will work?
1: Uh, no- nothing they saw today. I think that's clear. Um, nothing worked today. Uh, but you know, it goes back to what we were saying. I think the 4-5-1, well, it's had its weaknesses this year. I think with everybody healthy, I think that's a formation that really works well for the Revolution. Whether, you know, you play Teal Bunbury and Tajon Buchanan as true wingers with Carlos heel in the middle, or whether it's Lee Wynn in the middle and, and Carlos heel moves out right. And you play that formation with either Adam Buxa or Gustavo Bo up top. One of those two players, I think needs to be sacrificed for this team to be successful. Again, for the rest of this year, I'm not saying next year it doesn't work out. I just don't think it works out this year. Um, they found success at times doing that this season, and I think that's something that can work. I think that's much more solid defensively for them when they have you know, either a Tommy McNamara or a Kellen Rowe paired with a Scott Caldwell or a Matt Polster. Um, I think that makes it much easier for the Revolution to you know, have more possession and play tighter in midfield and, and kind of win the midfield battle. Um, and yes, scoring has come out as a pre- as a, at a premium for the Revolution this year. Uh, But I think that's the one way the revolution can play and, you know, more often than not can beat the, you know, decent to bad teams in the league and, you know, have a chance against the better teams in the league. So I think we learned today that that's what they need to do. Now, will Bruce Arena be willing to sit one of his designated players in the playoffs? I don't know, but I think he has to.
0: Um, we actually, the next question is what is the best lineup for the playoffs? So I will, we'll, we'll, give that in a second, but I just want to kind of compound on that, that thought, especially with Gustavo Bo out uh, for most of the season, you don't know where he is 90 minutes. I mean, to me, what we saw today is, is kind of Bo and books are kind of hopelessly trying to push the ball up by themselves um, and really unsuccessfully, you know, gather any offensive momentum. Um, I mean, in my mind, you got to put one of them on the bench. And the other thing, too, is, you know, you're down one nothing to Philadelphia. You're looking at the clock. It's the 60th minute. What are the offensive weapons on the bench? I mean, you got Lee Wynn. Okay. You got Kakuta Mene. Okay, cool. Who else on the bench is really going to come in and impact the game offensively for you? I don't know if there is an answer to that. You We can say Kellen Rowe and Diego Fagundes, but... Um, I mean, I think having Gustavo Bo come off the bench or Adam Buxa, who we've seen come off the bench with great results, um, come off the bench. I-, I think maybe you can play Bo and Buxa and do a combination 60 minute, 30 minute thing. Um, it-, it just makes the most sense to me because if you do concede early in the first half, um, you know, your best offensive players are already 70 minutes in the game and they're a little bit fatigued. Um, you know, they're not in the best shape uh, coming off of um, injuries. So, yeah, I, I mean, I. I- don't think playing all three in the starting lineup, it looks great on paper. It might work in FIFA. I'm not sure if it really works in in, in real life in a playoff game. So um, with that said, Sean, what is the best lineup for the playoffs?
1: Yeah, I, I think I'm going to go back to kind of, I think this is what I said last week. Um, and when somebody asked us, you know, how do you fit the Revs' six best offensive players on the field? Um, and, you know, I, I kind of flip flop on who is your better striker option right now on Adam Buxa, Gustavo Bo. I think based on what we saw today, even with Adam Buxa, you know, missing some good chances, I think you start Adam Buxa as your striker. Um, that's the one position I can kind of flip flop on. Um, you know, Tejan Buchanan, I still think needs to go out there. Um, I, I would actually try a situation where you have Lee Wynn as your central attacking midfielder, Carles heel as a right winger and Tejan Buchanan, as your left midfielder. Um, and again, my, my flip flop here is whether or not it's Tejan Buchanan or Teal Bunbury. Uh, I think Tejan Buchanan has shown a higher ceiling, um, but Teal Bunbury has done you know more consistently for the revolution this year. So, uh, that's my difficulty, but I think it needs to be that sort of formation where you have, you know, Bucsar or Bo up top, and then some combination of the three of, you know, Carly's heel, Lee Wynn, and Teal Bunbury or Tejan Buchanan. Um, and then behind that, I, you know, because we haven't seen a lot of Matt Polster in midfield recently, I think you stick with Col- Scott Caldwell. Um, and then what was working was Tommy McNamara next to him. So I think you, you go with that. Um, again, if it's Callen Rowe instead of Tommy McNamara, I don't, you know, I don't think that's necessarily a bad idea, but, um, based on what we've seen, I think it's Tommy McNamara and Scott Caldwell. Um, and then defensively, I'm assuming Dewan Jones is going to still be out. I think you're stuck with the defense they had in this game, which is Brandon Bayh, uh, Henry Kessler, um, Andrew Farrell, and then Alexander Bootner, And then, of course, you know Matt Turner in goal. No, no questions there.
0: Yeah, I think I disagree. I, I think I'd go with uh, Bo over Buxa to start the game and see kind of how long – uh, he can go. Although I'm not going to argue that one. Too bad. I, I think he can go with Books over Bow. Um, I, I think I'd put in Polster um, over Caldwell. It's worth remembering too. In the three uh, nothing game, or sorry, not three nothing game, the three two game that was played on October 15th. Um, you know, kind of playing in that four two three one, the Revs did have uh, a central midfield combination of Matt Polster and Kellen Rowe. Um, They they had a lot of substitutions in that game and a lot of rotation, because if I remember correctly, that was a midweek game, so Diego Fagundes, Kakuta Mene, uh, Manciana De La Mea also started this game, so it's not an indication that they will go with that pairing, Uh, but I, I think I was certainly impressed with Matt Polster. That game, he certainly made a very, very big impact. Um, so I, I wouldn't be shocked to see Matt Polster kind of in this Montreal game too, um, and and we saw Kellen Rowe today for the first time in a while. Maybe Kellen Rowe um, also has earned some minutes along the way through through training and all that. So I, I, I'm curious to see what the central midfield pair, pairing is. Um, Scott Caldwell has been getting the starts lately, which again I'm not sure why he's getting started over Matt Polster. I guess it made kind of sense today, um, but yeah. I, I anyway, it's. It, i agree with most of your lineup i think they got to go back to a 4-2-3-1 uh and and the big question is who do you start in the central midfield because as i say there, there's a lot of questions surrounding that so thank you to uh randy lh on twitter for the question um got another question here uh from brian on twitter he says is eighth place better than seventh place uh meaning that uh, the matchup against montreal as opposed to uh, enter miami um and he also points out if the Revs Beat Montreal. That means they have to go to the first place, Philadelphia Union, uh, once more. Uh, go down to lovely Chester, Pennsylvania, and play a playoff game there uh, in the second round. So, um, Sean, do you think eighth place is better than seventh place for the Revs? Uh, and do you also think there's any chance? Uh, the is there any reason to think the Revs could win in Philadelphia?
1: I, I do think eighth place is better than seventh place for the Revolution. As it turns out. Um, because Inter Miami, you know, have added some great pieces late in the season, um, and you know, while they don't have the best record, they're a team that's talent scares me a lot more than Montreal. We've seen Montreal a lot this year. We know the Revolution can beat Montreal. Um, there's there's nothing about Montreal that that really scares me. Um, and you know, as as we discussed before the podcast, Sam Piet, one of their you know star players, uh, got a red card late. In the game today so he's going to be out for that game so a, a montreal team that already isn't scary is, is is even weaker so i think in that sense it's better that the revolution finished eighth rather than seventh i think miami is a much more scary team or at least you know there's there's much more risk in my mind of the revolution losing that game even though miami's had a tough season um with that said uh, i don't see any scenario in which the revolution go into philadelphia and get a win i just don't see it happening um, you know, I would give them a slightly better chance against Toronto, given everything that's happened this season, um, and you know, given some of Toronto's performances. Um, but I think the revolution are would be you know, heavy underdogs in both of those matches. I can't see them beating Philadelphia. I would give them a slim chance of beating Toronto. Um, but, for the first round matchup alone, I, I say eighth place makes more sense because, I, I mean, is the better position for the Revolution because at this point, um you know, I, I'm more concerned with the Revolution getting out of that play-in match than I am about, you know, any future they have after that because any future they have after that is going to be very, very difficult, uh, not just because of who they're playing, but also because of the the scheduling. You know, the Revolution play that game on on Friday um, and, you know, there's not going to be much of a turnaround between that game and their their next match.
0: Yeah, absolutely agree with everything you said. I, I think falling the play-in ra- round means um, the Revs are likely not advancing past Toronto FC or Philadelphia, um, I, Columbus too. I mean, Sean, do you do you think the Revs would have matched up better against Columbus if they had fallen to that sixth seed?
1: Yeah, I I do. Except Columbus is you know nine one and at home. Um, you know, again, I think Columbus has had a very good season. Um, I do think that they look like a more beatable team to me than than Philadelphia. But um, and, and to Toronto from for some to some extent than Toronto. But, um, you know, again, I think, you know, any of those top three teams um, and even Orlando, any of the top four teams, I, I think the revolution would have a, a really difficult battle and haven't shown enough this year to tell me um, that in a winner go home playoff situation, they have enough to beat them.
0: And just to follow up, any reason to think this team can beat Philly? No. No, (laughs) Uh, Brian also asks a long-term question that can't be resolved heading into the playoffs: Is Andrew Farrell good enough to be an MLS starting uh, starting? Sorry, Andrew Farrell good enough to be a MLS caliber caliber starting center back? I don't know why it was so tough for me to say that, but um, he thinks no. Uh, We've kind of been. Little concerned about Andrew Farrell as the season's gone on. Had a very big uh, near blunder today where um, it almost kind of looked like the the chance against Toronto, where um, boy, I'd have to go back and look at it. In the 38th minute, uh, there's kind of a ball that comes through the air, it bounces. Farrell kind of loses track of it, gets a little bit of a shove from behind, goes down, um, and luckily the referee blew the whistle. The The ABC ESPN broadcast did not think it was enough contact to draw a foul, but um, if it was not called, that would have been a complete breakaway for, for Philadelphia Union, and uh, obviously we're, we're speaking a lot more about Andrew Farrell. So um, more issues from Andrew Farrell today. Sean, uh, do you think it's time the Revs move on from Andrew Farrell, and do you think he is an MLS starting center back?
1: I do think he's an MLS starting center back MLS caliber starting center back. Um, Does that mean he can't be upgraded? No, I think, um, I don't think he's one of the the top center backs in MLS. I don't think he's a top 25% center back in MLS. I think maybe he's a, you know, falls kind of in the average starting center back in MLS and, you know, can you win with that? Yes. Um, You know, could the revolution look to upgrade that and, you know, maybe make him their, their third center back slash, you know, right back off the bench. Um, yeah, I think that's an an area the revolution could, could improve in. Um, But, you know, is he an MLS starting caliber center back? Uh, Yes. Just not one of the better ones, I would say.
0: And another thing you got to remember about Andrew Farrell is that um, one, I mean, he's a locker room guy Two, uh, he signed an extension with his team and three, his salary number is relatively low compared to some other guys like Mancien and De La Mea, who are international players and and have an inflated salary for that reason. So, um, you know, if we're, Trending towards, do the Revs need to get rid of Andrew Farrell? I'd say absolutely not. Um, do the Revs need to look elsewhere for center back depth next season and into 2021? Absolutely. Um, and you're going to be losing, uh, I would say De La man and Mancien are likely not coming back. So you're, you're going to be looking at, at that area, um, to strengthen. So I think there's a good chance Andrew Farrell goes into next season competing for that number two center back spot. Um maybe we see a little bit more rotation out of that back line next year. Um but there are some some signs there that are trending in the wrong direction. Uh if you're a Revs fan in, in regards to Andrew Farrell. We do have one more person to talk about. Diego Fagundes um did not make an appearance today, so he ends the season tied with Shawree Joseph. Um for for appearances in uh, revolution history we've talked about how diego's contract is ending at the end of this season and i don't know if you saw a, a tweet from his father um i'll have to pull it up but uh it, it sounds like the negotiations are not going well um are you shocked they didn't find a way to get diego Fagunas in this game they got Sinovic in this game they got matt polster in it right back they got kellen rowe in the game for a while they got brandon by at left back um, they got kind of everything going different places. They were kind of throwing everything up against the wall. They didn't find a way to get Diego Fakundes into this game. Um, were you surprised about that at all?
1: No, I mean, if Bruce Arena cared about that stat, he would have put him in, in the home game last week. I don't, it doesn't surprise me, um, that he didn't put him into this game. I don't think it was a, you know, if, if the revolution had been winning this game, you know, two nothing or something, or, um, if, you know, if there'd been some sort of scenario where Bruce Arena thought he could help the team, um, then yes, but it just didn't, it didn't make sense to put him into this game. Um, although although with that said, I do think he probably would have fit this formation in the revolution we're trying to play better than, than Buchanan or Bunbury, as you mentioned earlier. Um, but you know, no, I don't I don't think Bruce Arena cares at all about that stat. And I, you know, it does does not surprise me he didn't play um in this game. Disappointing for him, although at the same time it also would have been kind of weird to see Fagundes break that stat in a season that's been disappointing for him. Um, and when it kind of seems like his career with the revolution is, you know, dwindling towards a conclusion. Um, you know, to have him break that set now would have been kind of a, a bittersweet thing for for him and Revolution fans. But um, you know, I, I, again, Bruce Arena doesn't care about that set. He cares about winning. Um, didn't do a very good job winning tonight, uh, but didn't also didn't want to force um, Diego Fagundes in when there wasn't really a, a place for him in this game.
0: Yeah, let me. I, I'm pulling up the tweet here because uh, I it didn't really catch waves on on Rev's Twitter, but I saw it and I think I sent it to you last week. But um, yeah, November second tweeted out, and this is translated from Spanish, so I bet some of this is a little bit lost, but he says, if to play or get a record, you have to sign what they tell you. What it is is to put pressure. Ha ha ha. Bye bye. So, I would say Diego Fugundes is not breaking this record.
1: I mean, Do, do you think that means that is he trying to say that the revolution are trying to force him to sign a contract or they're yeah. not going to play him again?
0: Yeah. <laughs> huh. I mean, granted, I'm not going to say Diego fugundes's father slash agent is you know, the most reliable source in the world. Um, I'm not going to sit here. It, it, you know, may, maybe that is just what he is saying publicly because, you know, he, he certainly kicked the wheels on all that speculation about him moving to Uruguay a, a few years ago uh, and has certainly kind of made some um, cryptic comments. I, I know at the end of the 2018 season, he made comments about Diego Fernandez leaving as well. So maybe this is him um, kind of, just making a stink uh and and maybe you know this is his way to negotiate with the reps through twitter although as i say i think there was one retweet and one like so i don't i don't think anyone really saw that except for me um but either way diego didn't play since that tweet so i i mean if we want to get into some conspiracy theories i i think i'm going to start this one up I, maybe diego did not play cuz he did not sign a new contract
1: yeah i mean the if this is true it seems like something that um, as his his father or agent, that you might want to leak to someone that's going to get it more attention um, because I, I don't know what is accomplished by putting it out on Twitter and getting one re- retweet and one like, other than us talking about it, I guess. I was going to
0: say, what do you mean more attention? We have <laughs> literally tens of listeners, Sean, that are going to be shocked <laughs> at this news.
1: Yeah, I, I mean, it it hypothetically, if that's true, I think that's kind of a disappointing approach for the revolution to take. Um, and it's a disappointing way for Diego's career to end if that's how it ends.
0: I'm sure there's a lot more to the story. So I'm, as I say, I I want our listeners to take this all with a grain of salt. Um, but yeah, Sean, just let's put a bow on this conversation. Yes or no. Do you think Diego Facundes ever breaks this conversation? Basically you're gambling whether or not, if, uh, if Diego comes back next season, do you you think he comes back? Do you think he breaks this record or do you think he ends up tied with, uh,
1: Yeah, I mean, to, to clarify, playoff games don't count towards this record, so we'd have to come back next season. Um, I don't see it happening. If anything, I see it more likely happening that he, you know, leaves and maybe comes back six years from now if he finds some success elsewhere and, and you know, maybe plays a couple more years with the Revolution at the end of his career and breaks it then. I don't see him breaking it next season.
0: I, I agree with you, uh, all things considered. I think he's he's gone after this season. Um, John, real quick, before we go, uh, I, I, I know you, we talked about Montreal a little bit. Uh, give me your... Guess on what we can expect to see from that first game. Uh, do you feel confident in a Revolution win?
1: Yeah, I mean it's it's hard to feel confident about the Revolution after the game that we just watched. Um, but I, I think Montreal is a team that the Revolution have had their number all year long. I mean, I'm just going back at you know they, they beat them one nothing in July. Um, I think they have a three one win, a three two win, um, and then for Montreal the missed Sampiet who's started. You know, 22 of their 23 games this season, and is a, a key part of their midfield. Um, this is a game that the Revolution should win. Again, the momentum's not there for the Revs. The momentum's there for Montreal. Montreal just won this game um, to to get into the playoffs. It, they're definitely have the momentum. Um, where the revolution don't, but I think momentum's also blunted a little bit when you have to wait and there's an international break and then you're playing the game on, on the 20th. Um, the revolution have a lot of time to think about this loss. They have a lot of time to try to fix it. Um, I think this is a game where the revolution, you know, go out there and I I don't think they get get a shutout, but maybe they end up winning this game two to one. That's going to be my, my prediction for this one. Um, it's just the, the revolution are a better team than Montreal. Um they may not be a better team than Philadelphia, but they're a better team than Montreal. I think the Revs win that game, and then I don't give them much of any prayer or hope uh going into the round after that.
0: Yeah, I think you said it pretty well. I, I think we'll see a little some more goals. I think maybe we see a 3-2 uh revolution win. I, I think the Revs' defense is starting to leak a little bit more, and I think these teams have Played enough that I think Montreal might be able to you know, gain some uh, more offensive momentum. I think Terry Henry has kind of sat back against the Revs in previous matchups. And I think he knows he needs to start uh, kind of pushing forward. And I think Montreal has uh, been, been scoring a little bit more. Too recently, so um, I think with a week and a half, uh, we'll see a much uh, tougher Montreal game than, we have seen in, in a team, uh, than we've seen in team than we've seen in recent games where they've been a little bit hamstrung, or you know they've been riding their starters two games a week. Um, although, as you say, the, the the Piet red card is a major, major game changer for the Revs. So.
1: And worth, worth a quick reminder, too, that Montreal has the worst defense in the Eastern Conference, having conceded 43 goals this season. So, you know, for as bad as the Revolution offense has been at times, uh, w- one way to help fix that is going up against the, the worst defense in the Eastern Conference.
0: Absolutely. yeah. And, and it's weird to say, but we might actually see some goals out of this game, uh, which is a complete reversal from the entire 2020 season. So, uh, Sean, before we go, do you want to get in your 20 seconds on Tottenham?
1: I mean, I, I was more excited to do it when they were in first place earlier today. Very temporarily should have stopped the count there. Uh, I don't know why they had to keep playing the games. They should just stop it there.
0: You had to get a one stop the count uh, reference in in the podcast. Um, I, I I guess I should also say that um, if Philadelphia does not have the supporter shield, you know, celebration, march, parade, whatever, uh, starting or ending at the Four seasons landscaping, uh, you know, in Northeast Philadelphia. Something is wrong. The Philadelphia Union are doing this whole uh, celebration thing wrong. So, uh, Sean, where can people find you on social media? And any final thoughts before you depart here today?
1: Yeah, you can find me at Sean Donahue. And the one thing we we didn't touch upon uh, was something that you you had pointed out on Twitter, or you had you know complimented, was how much ABC was allowing us to hear the commentary on the sidelines. And uh, one thing that we've certainly heard a lot of was Bruce Arena complaining to the referees um, and many of those times trying to ask for players to get yellow cards. For for me, I, I wonder when you have a coach that's that focused on the referees, if, you know, you know, you interpret that as a good thing because it's kind of stopping the players maybe from, from being the ones getting in trouble for dissent um, or if it's a distraction. Uh, the revolution weren't particularly organized at times in this game. And, you know, some of those times came when Bruce Arena was screaming at the referee that somebody should get a yellow card instead of you know screaming at the revolution. You know, this is what you should do on this set piece or, you know, this is where you should be positioned covering this guy. I don't know if I'm you know, reading too much into it, uh, but Bruce Arena has been complaining about the referees a lot this season. And, you know, we didn't hear it as much as we've heard it this game because they did such a good job micing it on ABC. But it was kind of interesting to me to see just how many times you heard him yelling at the referees.
0: Yeah, and I'm not going to name names, but uh, we did get a probably sarcastic questions at our uh, DMs. Uh, is Arena a jerk? <laughs> and I mean, he, he certainly was letting the referees hear it. I don't know if the mics were a little bit closer. I find it entertaining. Uh, I, I know uh, Jake Catney's uh, who is a referee uh, and is our refereeing expert, probably, um, you know, has PTSD from some very, very annoying parents. So he probably does not enjoy it uh, as, as much as I do. But a lot of people were not really pleased with with Bruce Arena. And and considering he got a uh, multiple game suspension from the MLS's back tournament against Philadelphia, I uh, think he learned his lesson. But I don't know, that's just Bruce. I, I think that is just him every single game. And we're we're just getting some glimpses of it. And so, you know, love him or hate him. I, I think that's something you got to just accept to, about him to, which is unfortunate to his
1: credit he didn't he didn't blame the loss on the referees in the post game comments this game he you know there was there was no talk of the referees after the game to his credit this time so there was, there was he didn't use it as an excuse
0: <laughs> we did get a, a question about is bruce arena a jerk for not letting diego get the franchise record for appearances like what if he leaves for syria a this offseason that's a very good point too i mean i think that's multiple reasons to why bruce arena kind of looks like a jerk today
1: yeah i mean we, we talked about that one before but um, you know, if he really wanted him to get that record, he should have done it last week.
0: You can follow Sean at Sean L Donahue on Twitter. Uh, you can follow us at Revolution Recap. You can also like our Revolution Recap page. Uh, on facebook also please leave us a review on itunes or wherever you are listening thank you to whoever seamus magoo is uh, a very kind review uh, on itunes we really appreciate it i don't know who you are on twitter so i cannot thank you on twitter but uh whoever you are uh, very kind words and we always appreciate it uh so that wraps us up here today um we will be back for the montreal uh, actually no we will maybe we'll be back for the montreal game i know it's a midweek game uh we haven't really looked ahead at the schedule right friday,
1: but- friday game they uh they just they announced it officially. It's- it's Friday, November twentieth at six thirty p.m. on Fox Sports One. I think one one way or another, I think we'll find a way to to be back. Whether it's Saturday, Sunday, who knows?
0: So we'll yeah we'll we'll do a podcast after that if it's on the weekend. Um, we'll try to drop that immediately after the games, but might be Saturday or Sunday. Kind of depends on how our schedules fall. But to everyone listening, please follow us on social media where we said thank you all for listening and rest in peace, Alex Trebek. Hey everyone! Quick update on this: because right after we finished recording. Diego Fagundes' dad had another tweet that says, "Diego Fagundes, it's a shame that after ten years of having signed with the club, the regular season is over. So that in ten, or sorry, in five or ten more years, you can break the record. December thirty-first, you're free. So it sounds like Diego Fagundes may have made his last appearance with the Revolution. Sean, is that how you're reading it? Any thoughts on this?
1: Yeah, I mean, it sounds like he did. Although, to be completely fair. Um, he, you know, his, his dad has sent out tweets like this in previous seasons that made it seem like he was gone and then he came back, but you know, those were situations where the revolution had contractual control. So yeah, I think he's gone. Um, and I think it's, it's interesting that he seemed to have the the same take as me that maybe in five or 10 more years, he'll come back and break the record. Uh, but it's not happening next year.
0: He sent another tweet out too that we're we're trying to make sense of, and I'm uh, I'm I'm trying to get uh, my my bilingual bilingual friend to to help me with the translating. But Google Translate says, "Do not say anything. Commit that fight. You have you know what is behind this. We have the proof of what happens. Better things are coming. You train nothing more." So I don't know what that means. Um, my friend has said, "I'm going to be completely honest. This grammar is off." Uh, so they're they're trying to figure out exactly what the Spanish translation means in case there's something there. I, I don't know if that means he's holding out. I, I don't know if this means he's not going to be attending the game. I I, I have no idea what any of this means.
1: Well, I, I apologize to all of my Spanish teachers that after five years of taking Spanish, I am of no use to translating these. <laughs> I took French, man. This is on you. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I am slightly embarrassed that five years could not uh, allow me to translate tweets.
0: Well, I, I don't know if we're going to paste this in the middle of the, the episode or if I'm just going to throw this at the end. I might be throwing this in at the end. Uh, but anyway, either way, that is your uh, most up-to-date Diego Fagundez update as of 7.16 p.m. on Sunday night. So thank you again for everyone for listening.